Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Numa Worship Podcast. I'm Joel. And I'm Marie. We are so excited to be here with you guys today and talk about all things worship. So it's our prayer that you feel so encouraged and just find some gold nuggets as we dig into the Word today. If you haven't already, then uh, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave us a nice review and all that sort of stuff. Uh, leave us a comment. Send us in your questions as well. We want to be uh, you to be a part of it all. And so if you've got any questions that you'd like us to uh, chat about here on the podcast, send them in to us. Uh, follow us on Instagram and all the other lovely stuff. So today we're going to pick up a discussion from our previous episode where we were looking at spirit and in truth worship. And so let's just begin by quickly recapping what we discussed um, in our previous podcast, we ended with the definition of spirit and truth worship. It's not necessarily a complete definition, but it's something that we can work with today. And so we were looking at John chapter 4, a uh, very famous passage on worship. And here we read from verse 21, Jesus said to her, the Samaritan woman, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So Marie, do you want to just kick us off by giving us that sort of working definition or understanding of spirit and truth worship that we talked about last time? Yeah, I would love to. So spirit is the opposite of what is material and earthly. To worship in spirit means it's a spiritual activity. It means partnership with the Holy Spirit in worship. It means I'm no longer trying to fill the cistern of my soul with external and temporal water, but now... Thanks to the work of the cross, and as I put my trust and faith in Jesus, I am a new creation, and I'm filled with the Spirit of God. And now out of my heart, my innermost being, my soul, and the essence of my entire being flows a river of living water. So in this passage, Jesus is telling us that it's actually impossible to be a true worshiper without the Spirit. So that's worshiping in spirit. The truth is God's reality. It also means that nothing is hidden. I can't hide anything. You know, in this passage in John chapter 4, when the woman said to Jesus, give me this living water, Jesus replied with, go call your husband. It's as if he was saying, okay, let's bring what's been hidden up until now. Let's talk about why you're out here in the middle of the day, the most inconvenient time to get water. Let's get to the source of your thirst. Now, this wasn't to expose or to condemn her, but it was to bring to light that which was hidden. He was inviting her to a life of freedom. So Jesus also said in John 8 verse 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In Psalm 139, it's a well-known one. I love how it says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. David was a man, a worshiper after God's own heart, because he didn't look to keep anything hidden. It didn't mean that he didn't make mistakes, but it just meant that he was an open book before the Lord. So good. You know, we started this year as a team uh, talking about taking off 
the mask. And that message was a call for us to stop pretending and stop trying to make face, stop hiding behind roles or titles and be the person that God has called you to be. And then just recently in this COVID season, you would have heard me ask the question multiple times, who are you becoming? And that's a really important question, in the, even in the context of worship, because as Louis Giglio says in his book, The Air I Breathe, what you worship, you obsess over, what you obsess over, you imitate, and what you imitate, you become. So who are you becoming? And now we're looking at this spirit and in truth worship, and worshiping in truth is not only about having a right understanding of God and His Word, it's also about the truth of His Word shining a light on our darkest places and bringing us into freedom. So to understand this fully, we need to go back to the beginning, to Genesis, where we can see that this spirit and in truth worship was part of God's plan all along and how the enemy came to destroy this wonderful worshiping environment. We were created to worship. Now, some people might have a problem with that statement, but in actual fact, the Shorter Catechism says it like this, the chief purpose for which man is made is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Mm. And I think it's important to remember that we weren't created for worship simply because God had an ego problem and just needed more creatures to give him glory. Mm. Actually, the fact that we were made for worship is in stark contrast to the other idolatrous religions of Israel's contemporaries who all believe that the gods created people to do their work on their behalf. So people were essentially minions to do the stuff that the gods no longer wanted to do. Right. I think it's a wonderful thing about worship that it's actually a two-way exchange. Mm. You know, it's not only us giving God glory and honor, but in our act of worship, he actually invites us to experience his glory and honor as well. And here in the opening chapters of Genesis, we read how this spirit and in truth worship existed right at the beginning as God would come down into the garden in the cool, breezy part of the day. That breezy part, it means that there was like a wind, a sound, the spirit was moving. And Genesis 2 ends with the statement, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So nothing was hidden. There was no shame, no guilt, no fear, just spirit and truth communion with God. This was God's original perfect intention for us. Mm. And so what we want to look at today is how the enemy came to destroy this perfect communion. And he did so by bringing in shame. So Marie, do you want to read uh, this passage, Genesis 3, and from verses 1 to 7 for us? Mm -hmm. So it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. In verse 7 there, they ate from the tree and the first thing was that happened was that they recognized they were naked. Now, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil meant that all of a sudden they were able to judge themselves. And it was God's intent that we would never see a flaw in who we were because as his creation, he had declared that we were very good. So his instruction to not eat from the tree wasn't just a test to see if we would be obedient, but because he never wanted us to know any separation from his love. He never wanted us to ever have a doubt that something was wrong with us and that we would need to hide from him. What's interesting is that instead of talking to God about their nakedness and asking him to help them with that particular issue, they decided to try and figure it out for themselves. They said, I'm going to use my own strength, my own work and creativity to make myself look good. And so they made themselves loincloths out of these fig leaves. This was the first thing they had ever created. And so this is where performance mentality comes in, even for us. Marie, do you want to speak into that for a second, this whole idea of performance mentality? Yeah, performance mentality is real. And I don't think any of us creatives, but especially in a church and Christian context, it's ugly to recognize that it's in us or when it's there in myself, I've never really been one to be like, oh yeah, like I have a performance mentality or I live my life out of performance. But God was really kind um, recently actually in showing me that much of my life had been lived out of this performance and just trying to be good and Mm. trying to do good and trying to do the right thing. And where this stemmed from was being involved in like classical music on one hand and then jazz music on the other hand. So in my piano classical competitions, I was always a bit too jazzy Mm -hmm. to like do really well. So I'd always lose the competitions because I added too much jazz flair. But then in my jazz band festivals, I never really went for it in improv because classical is very much like you play this note and you do this rest and you do it exactly how it's written on the Mm, page and improv isn't a thing. So I never got graded well in improv because I had too much classical influence. And then the Lord showed me that this tension of living in the middle, I have put into every area of my life, basically, to how I do relationships, how I do team, how I lead, how I do marriage, how I do friendships. And I constantly lived on this, you're being graded, you're being graded, you're being graded. So rather than just resting in this communion with God as his daughter and delighting in that relationship, it, it has become, do it this way. And if you don't do it just right, you fail. Right and everything that I do. So it's confronting, but it's real. But once you recognize that and let God reveal it to you and you have that freedom, mate, your world changes. Yeah, absolutely. I think for myself, I uh, identify with the whole performance mentality thing. Again, from childhood, being a pastor's kid, Mm. you sort of grow up knowing how you're supposed to behave and 
you know what you're supposed to do in any given situation in a church context um, because of people's expectations on you. And so you try and live up to those expectations constantly, um, whether they're unsaid or not. Um, And so you're always, you kind of put on your church act. You know how you're supposed to dress, you know when you're supposed to raise your hands, you know what you're supposed to say to people after and in between services and all that kind of thing. And so, yeah, that whole performance mentality is definitely inbuilt and definitely something that needs to come out and be worked out with God as well because then we bring that into our spiritual life as well, and we're like, we need to perform a certain way for God um, in order for Him to love us and for Him to accept us as well. So it's a really powerful and potentially dangerous trap to fall Mm. into. What we find in this passage here is that the accuser's original lie was actually shaming. Mm. We want to look at this for a second here, this whole idea of shame and, and how it can drive us into this performance mentality, but also uh, take us away from this truth aspect of spirit and truth worship. Yep. This is what the enemy was after to destroy. Because he, he said to Eve, God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. But who were they already like? They were like God, right? Because right. they were made in the image of God. So what he essentially was saying was, you aren't good enough on your own, but you have the power to grab it yourself. You on your own without God can become good enough. Mm. You can become like him. And this is, we read the, of this in Ezekiel as well, right? When Lucifer, it tells of the fall of Lucifer, he says, I will ascend to heaven and be like God, this was always his intention. And that's the accuser's whole plan in our life as well. You are not enough and you need to fix it apart from God. And then God shows up and he asks Adam, where are you? And Adam replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. It's interesting to me that Adam didn't say, I was afraid because I ate from the tree. Right. Right. In other words, he didn't say, I was afraid uh, because I did a bad behavior. He said, I was afraid because I am bad. And that's what shame is. So shame is something that makes you believe there's something inherently wrong with you instead of I did something wrong. It's I am something wrong instead of. I said something stupid. Shame is, I am something stupid. That's right. And shame came in and wanted to identify us because otherwise Adam would have said, I ate from the tree that you told me not to. And then he could have had a discussion with God about that. But instead he identified himself and he said, I am naked and so I hid myself. I think something interesting is that pride... While we hear about it often being the ultimate sin, shame is the ultimate stronghold in our lives. And I love the language that you used about the enemy being an accuser because that's exactly what he is. Revelations 12.10 says the accuser, the enemy accuses us day and night. Mm. 
but he has been hurled down and triumphed over by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so when there's something just gnawing at my ear, being like, you did this or you did that, not even that you are this or you are that. I know that's not the voice of Jesus because Jesus doesn't speak to us in an accusational tone. Even God, when he approached Adam in the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? Right. He wasn't like, of course, God would know that fruit had been eaten and where they are exactly. Mm. But he didn't come to them being like, you ate the fruit and now this is going to happen. He Mm. wasn't accusational. Mm. He was open and inviting and just wanted that relationship restored more than anything. And how often is that the same in our own lives when I miss a devotional or my prayer life is being shoddy or whatever Mm. it is? Jesus is never like... This is like, yes, he convicts, but he's never accusational about right. it. He's like, hey, where are you? Yep. Let's regroup. Let's talk about this and restore what needs to be restored. Yeah, that's so good, Marie. Uh, do you have a personal story or something you could share with us along those lines? Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's a few, but one that really stands out was actually pretty recent. And I was watching a playback of a church service online where I was leading, and I know we're all our own self-worst critics, and it's dangerous Mm. to go down that path, but this was something else, and I had turned down the volume really aggressively, and my husband was like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And I just shuddered, and I cringed, and I was like, I just can't stand to listen to my voice. I hate it. It's so gross. And he just shook his head like, where is that coming from? But later that night, God met with me. And he let me feel his broken heart for agreeing with thinking that not just that my voice was bad, but for like being ashamed of something that he created and gave me. And so gently he was like, Marie, who gave you your voice? Who made Mm. it? Who made the traits and the Mm. characteristics about it? Mm. I was like, well, you did. And he was like, do I make anything that's not good? Well, the answer to that is no. We see in the beginning he made it. It was very good. And is there stewardship and lessons and all of that? Yes, of course. But that wasn't my issue. My issue was being ashamed of something he created in me. And he was like, what did I create this voice for? It's to bring freedom. It's to bring healing. It's to bring restoration to people's lives. It's to bring revival to people's hearts. And here you are turning the volume down saying, this is gross. This is ugly. I don't want it to be a part of me. And I agreed with shame in that moment. And so that was a moment where he graciously just took me by the hand and was like, we're not going to go down that road again. And I have to be so intentional about it still. But yeah, shame is real and it's slippery and it's not from his heart. It's just not from him. So Absolutely. One uh, quote that stuck with me for many years on that thing about, you know, when we question or when we... Uh, accuse ourselves or when we agree with that accusation, uh, something that's really stuck with me is that if you question the product or if you hate the product, you doubt the manufacturer. Yeah, wow. And so that's often what we do as well with God. We question or we uh, hate ourselves or we allow shame to be the uh, accusing voice in our lives and that is doubting the manufacturer as well. You know, I think what's beautiful about this story and uh, and how God has, you know, obviously told it in his word so that we have it today is that in this, he shows us his plan for redemption. And you touched on this just before, Marie, but, you know, so often our thinking when we've done something uh, 
potentially wrong or bad is that we think, oh, no, I've done something bad and now I'm separated from God and he can't look at me, he can't be near me. Mm. But there in the garden, after Adam and Eve had sinned, God didn't change his agenda for the day, Yeah, right? He still showed up in the cool of the evening as he did every other day. Yeah, And I don't think for a second that God hadn't realised what had happened. You know, it wasn't that he was up there on his throne and hadn't realized what had just taken place in the garden. But if we really believe that God is all-knowing and omniscient and omnipresent, he would have seen what had happened in that moment and yet showed up anyway. Yeah. Yep. And again, I just love how God came looking for them. Right. Why did he say, where are you? It's because he wanted all of humanity to know that his role would be the pursuer from there on. I won't let my kids hide in shame. Shame will not win. I'm coming after you. Right. And it's so interesting that after Adam gets done blaming Eve and Eve gets done blaming the serpent, that God doesn't then tell them off for not taking ownership, but he turns to the serpent and curses him instead. Mm. And the first words out of God's mouth introduce his redemptive plan for all of us. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heels, what the word says. Mm. Uh, and why is that the first thing he said? Because with this statement lies the hope of all humanity. Because the first consequence out of his mouth was, I have a redemption plan. Mm. Eve, you will birth someone and they will crush the serpent's head. Now, this was obviously so evident to Adam and Eve um, because as soon as God was done explaining the consequences, Adam turned to his wife, who just moments earlier he had blamed. Mm. He turned to her and he said, you will be called Eve, the mother of all living. Wow. Now, how do you go from blaming her for her actions, not only ruining your life, but also introducing death, sorrow and shame into paradise to now prophesying her destiny and her calling? Because, I mean, he could have named her, you ruined humanity. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But he named her something that called her back into her original intent. Yeah. Now, what were Adam and Eve told by God right at the beginning? Be fruitful and multiply. So Adam turns to his wife and in that moment calls her Eve, the mother of all living, because from her was going to come the Redeemer. So if wow. for Eve, who did the biggest whoopsie right, <laughs> of all humanity, God immediately calls her back to her original calling and destiny, what is there that you and I could do that would get him off track mm. of our calling and destiny? So good. And I just love that. It's the same today as it was then. Every time we feel our furthest from God or the most distant or at our lowest, or I remember coming back to Jesus after being completely removed from him for many years of my life. In that moment, it was never, I'll meet you here, but you've done this and you've done that and you acted like this and this happened. It was just, you're my daughter and this Mm. is what I see in you and this is who you are and him prophesying over my life who he's created me to be. And that's the same thing that we see in every person's testimony. Again, in Revelations 12, by the word of our testimony, there's that victory and triumph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. 
So worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit is that partnership with the Holy Spirit in worship. It means that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, overflowing and bubbling over, as Jesus said in John chapter 7, with the Holy Spirit. And then the truth, worshiping in truth, it means nothing is hidden. I can't hide anything from God, but I'm going to allow the light of His Word, His truth, to illuminate the darkest places of my heart, knowing that He is a loving, caring Father. And that's why Jesus said we worship the Father in spirit and in truth, because He longs for that relationship, that communion that He wanted for us all along. Well, we could obviously talk about this for hours on end, but we won't keep you guys for that long. We do encourage you, though, to read these scriptures again and let the Holy Spirit search your heart and reveal to you maybe where you're experiencing shame in your own life or where that's been a stronghold and start discovering freedom from the Lord in that area. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Hope that you got something out of it. Don't forget to subscribe and uh, leave a nice review if you got something out of it. But until next time, we'll see you on the NUMA Worship Podcast.